It's great to see all of you here this morning. If you've been a Christian, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, as you've been reading through the Bible, I'm sure you have come to the passage that we read together. And I'm sure that as you came to this passage, you probably stopped and meditated on these verses for a bit. This is what I want us to do this morning. I want us to stop and think about what the author to the Hebrews writes for us here in verses 19 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. Now, before we get into our message, there's a couple of things I want us to observe. First being, I want you to see that verses 19 through 25 is written to Christians. It opens with the words, therefore, brethren. Now, back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, the author of this letter, he addressed this same audience as, quote, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, written to Christians. This means, this means that on a personal level, these verses that we just read has meaning and application for you and me today. Here's the second observation. In verses 19 through 25, we have words that are instructive, They are instructive. I want you to find the words, let us. Underline it, highlight it, circle it. The words, let us, appear three times in these verses. Now, when we come to these words, let us, we understand what they mean, right? Let us is a call to personal action. These are very instructive. And primarily in verses 22 through 25, we as believers are instructed to do three things. First, we're instructed to draw near. In verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, this command deals with our conduct towards God. The theme of this command is faith towards God. Instruction number two is hold fast. There in verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, this command deals with our conduct towards the world. And the theme of this command is hope exhibited before the world. Instruction number three, stir up. There in verse 24, it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now, this command deals with our conduct towards the church, and the theme is love demonstrated toward one another. Did you catch that? These three instructions, they orbit around this theme, faith, hope, and love. Now, this morning, my aim is to learn what these instructions mean and how to obey them on an ongoing daily basis. So here we go. Number one, draw near. I want you to look at verses 19 through 21. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house 
of God. Now let's start with the obvious. This set of words open with the word therefore. Now you students of the Bible, you know that when we come to a word like therefore, we have to stop and find out what's it there for. Now therefore is a connector word, a connector word. In this case, it connects the previous thought with the present one. Now, up until Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, the content of this book has generally been doctrinal. Hebrews chapter 1 to Hebrews chapter 10 has been teaching us about Jesus. And what these chapters teach us is that Jesus is the better sacrifice, Jesus is the better high priest. Now, starting here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, this book transitions from doctrinal to practical. And so the chapters that follow, Hebrews chapters 10 through 13, they teach us how to apply everything that we've learned up until this point in Hebrews chapters 1 through 10. So the verses here, verses 19 through 21, they are important. Because on one hand, they summarize the teaching of everything that has already been said in the book of Hebrews. And at the same time, these words, they are the basis for the application that follows here in verses 22 through 25. And so as we look at these words here in verses 19 through 21, These words in Hebrews 10 tells us two important facts that every Christian should know. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus this morning, if you are trusting in Christ as your one and only Savior this morning, here in these words there are two things that you need to know and I need to be reminded of, and that is, number one, we have access We have access. In verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. The holiest. Underline that word. Circle that one. The holiest was the most significant and sacred room in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3, it's called the holiest of all. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it's called the most holy place. This room is often called the holy of holies. And what made this room so significant and so sacred is that God appeared in it. He tells us this in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. God appeared on earth inside the holy of holies. But here's something that we all need to understand about the holiest. The holy of holies on earth was symbolic of the holy of holies in heaven. That is the throne room of God. And here in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and 20, when the writer here speaks about the holiest, He's referring to the real holy of holies that's in heaven. He's not talking about the copy that was on earth. He is talking about the presence of God. 
And understanding what the holiest is, the author makes this radical statement. He says, having boldness to enter the holiest. You see, in the Old Testament, there was no direct access for people into the holy of holies. Listen, sin separates sinners from God. And at the entrance of the holiest was a veil hanging from ceiling to floor that kept sinners shut out from God's presence in the holy of holies. And it was like that for a very, very long time. And then you fast forward into the New Testament and we see God did something spectacular. God opened the door for his redeemed people to enter in and to dwell in his presence. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 tells us that we possess the right of direct access into the holiest and we enter in with boldness. Now there's another word you want to underline and circle and highlight. Boldness. And after you circle that word, draw a little line, and next to that little line, write the words cheerful confidence or happy confidence. The author is telling us that we have access into the presence of God, that we can enter in with a happy confidence, with a smile on our faces. Wow. Now, how is this possible? How is this possible? Well, the author goes on in verse 19 to say, having boldness to enter the holiest, listen, by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. Now, when we read those words, by the blood of Jesus in the New Testament, the Bible is not talking about a prick in the finger, The words by the blood of Jesus refers to the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. And it was by this that God made it possible for you and me to enter into the holiest. Because at the cross, God punished sin and made it possible for sinners to be cleansed and cleared from the guilt of sin. And when Jesus died in our place, God opened the door for us into the most holy place. In Matthew's gospel, in his narrative of the death of Jesus on the cross, he tells us in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Listen, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Don't miss that, from top to bottom. God did it. And I can imagine God holding on to the top corners of the veil, just waiting for his son to say, it is finished, and then rip. The door has been opened. We have access into the presence of God. Yes, that is worth clapping for. (laughs) God did that for us. And he goes on to say, having boldness to enter the holiest, verse 20, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. In the Old Testament, the veil, the curtain, 
kept sinners out of the presence of God. In the New Testament, Christ brings redeemed people into the presence of God. This is the meaning here. When he says that by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, listen, through the veil, that is his flesh. In other words, Jesus Christ alone is the point of entrance into the holiest. Jesus Christ alone is the point of entrance. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, through Jesus, we have access. And that's amazing. That's amazing. But not only do we have access... But the scripture that we're in right now also tells us that as believers, here's something that we need to know. We have an advocate. We have an advocate. In verse 21, it says, in having a high priest over the house of God. In the Old Testament, the high priest was an ordained minister. And this man represented God before God's people, and he represented God's people before God. Now, the one thing that we need to understand about all the high priests that we read about in the Old Testament, listen, all of those men were all shadows. All the high priests in the Old Testament were all shadows of the one final and true high priest who was to come, that is Jesus Christ. And here we're told that we have a high priest. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 tells us that this high priest, he's Jesus. He's our high priest. And we're told that this high priest is over the house of God. Again, back in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it tells us that we are the house of God, the church, the redeemed people of God. So that means that as our eternal high priest, listen, Jesus alone brings us to God. And Jesus alone represents us before God. Jesus is our single, supreme, and sufficient advocate who guarantees for us access into the holiest and brings us into the presence of God. Amen? Amen. We have access, we have an advocate. Now it's on the basis of of these two things, as we're told here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, that the application follows. The application that we read read of in verses 22 through 25, there are three instructions. First in verse 22, knowing that we have access, knowing that we have an advocate, what should we be doing? How should we be living? What should Christianity look like? Well, number one, in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. 
In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, that's what we're told. It says, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Listen, our goal in entering into the holiest is not to merely see the inside of it. That's not why we want to enter in. That's not why we want to walk through into the holy of holies within the veil. We draw near into the holiest because we want to be in fellowship with God. Listen, God is our ultimate. God is our final destination. Let us draw near to God. And yet how often have we found ourselves walking into an environment like this Sunday morning church, it's our routine. This is what we do regularly. We sing our songs, we listen to the sermon, we grab our coffee and we walk out and we spend time in the holiest and we never drew near to God. How often have we left fellowship with God's people without having drawn near to God. We were spectators inside the holiest. We were consumers inside the holiest. But God wants us to commune with him, to fellowship with him, to be in right relationship with him. And for this reason, the author continues to say, let us draw near with a true heart. The heart represents the whole inner life. A true heart is inner sincerity from one's whole being. A true heart is full of genuine dedication and real devotion to God. A true heart is free of pretense and falsehood. It is clear of hypocrisy. And we all understand what the opposite of a true heart looks like, right? Jesus described it in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Wow. But this is not how we are to enter into the holiest, This is not how we're to draw near to God. But rather, God says in Psalm 51, verse 6, you delight in truth in the inward being. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is how we draw near to God. So you hear words like this. I hear words like this. And it causes me to stop and have to deal with the question that the Holy Spirit is asking me. And maybe the question the Holy Spirit is asking you. What is the quality of your heart this morning? And the author continues, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Wow. 
Faith means complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And for those of us who are born again believers in Jesus, the single object of our faith is God. God assures us that we have access into the holiest. He's the one who tells us that we have an advocate who intercedes for us inside the holiest. And so believing what God told us about our access and advocate, we enter in with boldness, with cheerful confidence into the holy of holies to draw near to God. There is the full assurance of faith inside of us. And then the author continues. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Listen, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, these words describe what Jesus has done for you. These words describe what Jesus has done for me. He says that we've had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now, again, as we're reading through the book of Hebrews, so much of what we read is connected to the Old Testament. And here, when you come to a word like sprinkled, it reminds us of the work of the high priest in the Old Testament that In the Holy of Holies, as he was permitted to enter in once a year to intercede on behalf of the nation of Israel, he would come in with the blood of an animal sacrifice and he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it. He would sprinkle it onto the lid of this box called the Ark of the Covenant. The lid was called the mercy seat and he would do it for the atonement of the people of Israel. Now, in the same way, blood has been applied to you and me. Listen, our hearts were sin-stained. Our hearts were guilt-ridden. But Jesus, but Jesus. Jesus cleansed us from our sins. And Jesus cleared us from our guilt, and he did it with his own blood. And because Jesus did this for us, we can draw near to God with a true heart. But he also says, having our bodies washed with pure water. Again, going back to the Old Testament, this reminds us of the ceremonial washings of the Old Testament priests for purification. God sanctifies and God cleanses us with the washing of water by the word. Ephesians chapter five, verse 26 tells us that. Now, what we're told here in these verses is that number one, God made us pure on the inside, our heart. We can have a true heart. But also God makes us pure on the outside. He makes our bodies pure. Now remember, our bodies is the vehicle. Our bodies are the vehicle through which our heart lives out life. Our will, our mind lives out life. 
So as God has transformed the inside, then we should see transformation on the outside, right? And God is at work right now making us more and more like Jesus. And the way he does it is through the application of the blood and the water of the word. So here's the application. If we believe that we have access, if we believe that we have an advocate and God is saying, here's the application of it, let us draw near to God, then how on a practical level should we be drawing near to God? I'm so glad you asked that question. Well, first and foremost, we draw near to God through Jesus Christ. Listen, there is no other way to God than through Jesus Again, I've already mentioned it, but I'll cite it again. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another way that we should draw near to God is with reverence. Reverence. A respect for God. An affirmation that God is everything he says to be. And so in Leviticus 10.3, it says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded holy. That's worship. Number three, how do we draw near to God? With thanksgiving, with praise, with worship. That's why we spend time singing and praying and thanking the Lord together. It's not the buffer in a worship service to give the latecomers time to make it to church for the Bible study. How often have people thought that? Oh, we're going to be late to church. Oh, no, they're still just singing. We've got time. That's how we enter in. With thanksgiving, with praise and worship. Psalm 95, verses 2 and 3, and 95, verses 6 and 7 says, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. How should we draw near to God? with an expectation for salvation. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Listen, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to give your heart to Jesus. Jesus wants to cleanse you from your sins. He wants to clear you from your guilt. But maybe you're thinking, John, you don't understand. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I am. I'm in a pit too deep, too dark, too far gone. I'm way lost. And yet Hebrews 7.25 is spoken out to you. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Or as Charles Finney, the great American evangelist of the 1800s said, he is able to save to the guttermost. But if you are a believer, maybe you're in the midst of difficult circumstances, trials, hardships, and you need our mighty deliverer to be a deliverer. Oh, he's able to save. 
Number five, how do we draw near to God? Well, we draw near with the expectation for mercy and grace. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you need forgiveness? Go to the throne of grace. Do you need more grace, sustaining grace, sanctifying grace? Then go to the throne of mercy, to the throne of grace. One more, how should we draw near to God? We should draw near to God with the expectation to be with God. Listen, let us draw near to God to be with God. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We have access. We have an advocate. So what should we do? Draw near. Number two, what should we do? Hold fast. Hold fast. In verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The New Living Translation puts it this way, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish believers who were thinking about leaving Christianity and returning to the old law-based religious system of Judaism. And these Hebrew Christians were thinking this because of the persecution. Because of the persecution they were experiencing for being followers of Jesus. You see, for this group of people, the moment they gave their hearts to Jesus, life just got harder. But for them and for those of us who are thinking about calling it quits and making a U-turn and walking away from Jesus and going back to your old life, we need to listen again to the message of Hebrews. Hebrews exhorts believers to remain and continue in his and her dedication and devotion to the Lord Jesus. Listen to the message of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, it says, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, it says to hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And so here the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now let's understand this. In the Bible, when the word hope shows up, it does not mean the crossing of fingers, The biblical definition for hope is confident expectancy. It is the absolute certainty of future good. And listen, the hope that we confess is so substantial and it's so real that the book of Hebrews calls this hope we confess an anchor. In Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, it says we have this anchor or excuse me, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So what is this hope? 
that we confess in the world. Because as the world is opposing us, as the world is hating us, as the world is persecuting us, yet we make stands for Jesus every day. And when the world is saying, why are you still a Christian? Why are you still following Jesus? Those are those opportunities that we confess this living hope. And what is this hope that we confess? The hope is the promises of God. The hope of eternal life. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. The hope of future glory, our future glory. Romans 8, 16 through 18, and then 8, 23 through 24 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. What's this hope that we confess? It's the hope of future inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And the hope that we confess is the hope of the city of God. Hebrews 13, 14 says, we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Listen. Life is gonna be hard. And for some of us, life is going to appear harder than for others. But the hope that we confess, we affirm that this is not our final destination. We are going to shed ourselves of this temporary life. And the promises that God has given to us, they will be kept because the promise keeper is God and he is faithful to keep all of his promises as the author tells us, for he who promised is faithful. So here's the application. There is nothing and there is no one in this temporal life that is worth abandoning the saving life of Christ for. If you leave Jesus... If you leave Jesus, there is nowhere else you can go for eternal life with God. Peter got it right. When Peter said in John 6, 68 and 69, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So hear the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. Remain in Jesus. Continue on with Jesus. 
we have access. We have an advocate. So let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Point number three, let us stir up. In verses 24 and 25, it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This call deals with our conduct toward the church. Now, when this letter was being written, some of the Jewish Christians stopped gathering with other believers because of fear of persecution. The book of Hebrews, however, calls us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it this way, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. Here's the message of these words. God wants his redeemed people to gather regularly with one another. This applies to everyone, including you and me. Psalm 122 verse 1 should echo our hearts. When the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Folks, we cannot afford to be spiritual loners. We cannot afford to be disconnected from other believers in Jesus. Proverbs 18.1 says this, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise judgment. It is not wise to disconnect yourself from other believers. We all understand this illustration, right? When a piece of coal is removed from a pile of burning coal, what happens? That piece of coal will soon lose its fire and heat and then will become cold and useless. And in the same way, when a Christian removes himself from fellowship with other believers, he will eventually become spiritually cold with zero spiritual impact in the world and in the church. We need each other. We need to live life in Jesus together. Charles Spurgeon, born 1834, went to heaven in 1892. He said, quote, for Christian fellowship is helpful to us and we are helpful to others by it. A Christian is not meant to be a solitary being. Sheep are gregarious and so are the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not be solitary pilgrims along the road to heaven, but join that glorious host of God's elect who march beneath the guidance of our great master. But here's what the exhortation is telling us. It doesn't say to just stop with attendance. We should not just be attending church. Listen, Hebrews tells us we should be participating in church. He says in verses 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, exhorting one another. Those words, consider one another, it means that we are a community of believers fellowshipping with each other inside the holiest. And listen, we are part of the house of God and God wants us to be thinking about others. When was the last time you thought about the people you're sitting next to? Too often we're content 
going to church for years and recognizing faces, but they're just nameless faces to us. How can you consider one another if you don't take the time to get to know one another? God does not want us to be self-focused in church. He wants us to be others-focused. And so he says, consider one another. Be thinking about each other. And he says, stir up love and good works, exhorting one another. The New Living Translation says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let me give to you some examples of how we can stir up one another to acts of love and good works. First, pray for one another. Paul did. That's how he stirred up love and good works among the Philippians. In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, it says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ for this will bring much glory and praise to God. We can also stir up one another by sharing the word with one another. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 4, 2, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Another way to stir up love and good works is be an example for others. 1 Timothy 4.12, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And number four, the way we stir up one another is to remain in fellowship with others and to exhort each other. And that's what we have here. And what is the motivation for why we should be doing this on a regular basis? Listen, Jesus is coming back. Amen. Amen. Motivation for regular church attendance and participation is the return of Jesus for his church. He says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, being in fellowship with one another inside the holiest is the best place to be as we wait for the soon return of Jesus for the church. We have access. We have an advocate. So what should we do? Draw near, hold fast, Stir up. Amen? Well, let's all stand together. And as we close in prayer and worship, I want to encourage you, if you're here and you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, you need to come forward and give your heart to Christ As we pray, some of the pastors are going to be up front. You need to come and connect with them and give your heart to Jesus. Others of you, your life is just hard. Come to the throne of grace and let the Lord minister to you. In fact, I just heard the report that during last service, there was a woman here in church and she told the pastor that she was ready to kill herself. But she made it to church today and she said that this message, the Lord used it to change her 
And instead of killing herself, she ran to the throne of grace and found mercy and grace. Come to Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us by your spirit. Help us now to go out from this place, living out life to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.